Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show, the home of happy parents and healthy teens on American Family Radio. Here's your host, Dr. Jessica Peck. Welcome to the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Peck, professor, author, pediatric nurse practitioner, and mom of four. I am so excited about today's guest. You guys are in for a treat. Today we have Natalie Runyon. She is the author of Raised to Stay, and she has a community of stayers online. And I found Natalie actually through some friends who had experienced hurt in the church, and they started texting me, Natalie, these little black boxes with white words across them. And one of my friends actually said, these black boxes have become my lifeline. She said she felt seen, she felt heard, she felt understood, and most of all, she felt hope. So Natalie, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Oh, Jessica, thanks for having me. Well, I'd love for you to start just by telling our listeners a little of your story because you are very authentic and transparent in sharing your own journey of hurt that you experienced in the church as a preacher's kid. And so why don't you just give us a little bit of your story? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in the church, so it was my entire world. I don't really remember life before church, and my dad was a pastor from the time I can remember, and so it was our DNA. It was our church family was our family. We lived in the parsonage, which was the house connected to the church, like next door. Um, It was just a revolving door of church people and events and church conferences, and I think that that became an identity for me is this is who I am. Um, I'm going to be in ministry too. That's just what we do. And it was around my senior year of high school, we went through a pretty good church hurt situation where I'm 18. This is one of the most formative years of my life, senior year of high school, uh, trying to decide what I want to be. And suddenly I go from wanting to be in a Christian college to saying, if these are Christians, no thank you. And I ended up at a public university majoring in exercise physiology and kinesiology and being in the science major where it was just day after day defending my faith and defending who I was as a Christian and questioning, am I a Christian? And am I actually you know, really aligning with some of the things that I uh, was, you know, growing up being taught or was some of that just religious stuff that I need to get rid of. And so I went through my own deconstruction, detangling, whatever you want to call it, uh, through my 20s, really asking those deep questions of, you know, is it just my parents' faith or is it my faith? And that's really what has led us to these black boxes has been 25 years of wrestling with that question. Wow. Well, I think there are so many people who can identify with some part of your journey, you know, whether that's being in ministry or being hurt by ministry and just being disillusioned by the church. And I think even in my own grandfather, my grandfather was an attorney and he helped plant a church and start a church. And the pastor had asked him to do some things that honestly were not ethical, you know, in, in incorporating that church. And he was so disillusioned. He really lost his faith in church. He didn't 
didn't lose his faith in God. He still kept that, but my whole life, you know, it was like, that is not for me. That's not where I want to go. And even now, I think that that is a fear that a lot of parents have is that their kids are going to grow up because we know that more than half of them do. They grow up and they leave the faith and they want nothing to do with church. So let's talk a little bit about that deconstruction word that you said. That's really been a hot topic. If you go on TikTok or any social media, you'll see kids deconstructing their faith. What is that? And what do you think about it? I think a lot of the young ones who are doing it are using that word without really fully understanding what they're saying. Because deconstruction can be healthy if you have mentors and disciplers in your life who can help you rebuild something that is um, stronger, something that is more biblical, more like Jesus. But when we just destroy our faith, when we just say, I'm walking away from God, um, that's a whole different conversation than saying, I have some questions about some of the things that have been put on me. For example, I grew up in the 90s, so 90s purity culture was probably not the best example for us as teenage girls to be shamed for our bodies. It led for me eating disorders and a lot of body dysmorphia and things like that. And so I don't want uh, my daughter to live like that. So I had to detangle from that. And so I think when we hear our kids say, I'm deconstructed, well, that's probably a buzzword they've heard on social media. And it's really healthy to say, tell me what you're deconstructing. Tell me what you feel like um, you need to destroy. And then we can talk about then how to build it back up. But throughout all of Scripture, you know, God tells Jeremiah, you're going to build up and you're going to tear down. So we know that there are examples of things being torn down for the good. And so I say, we let them take this journey, but I'm learning with the church and even as a parent, we do not like it when our kids wander. We don't know what to do with that. <laughs> we want them just to kind of walk in this straight line and the church wants us just to walk in this straight line. But one of the healthiest things I believe I can do for my girls who are 11 and 14 and what my parents did for me is they let me go on this faith journey that didn't look like theirs. And mm -hmm. that was probably one of the greatest gifts my family gave me growing up. Well, you're right. That sounds terrifying because as parents, we do, I think, just want to control everything because it gives us a feedback loop to say we're doing a good job as a parent. And that's, oof, that's such a tough thing to say. But I agree. I think at this point in time, for the first time in human history, parents are really replaceable. If your kids don't like what you say, they can find an echo chamber online that will reinforce their belief that you don't know what you're talking about. You are out of touch. You are old-fashioned. And we have to build that relationship. And I always say faith is caught. It isn't taught. You know, we can say all of these things, but as you know, there's a lot of kids who are watching their parents walk through a journey at church where they've been hurt, where they see people at church who are not acting like the pastor is saying they're supposed to act. I mean, they're seeing gossip and they're seeing, you know, things that are worse, like people acting one way during the week and and then acting one way in church. So what do you say to parents who are walking alongside that, who see that the church is not perfect? I mean, you're very clear about that and talk about that. How do we talk about that with our kids without, you know, really dating them? 
I think Christians have done a really bad job of just defending the church all the time and saying, well, you know, we're the church, just got to be who we are. This is this is God's church. He loves his church. We, we gaslight ourselves more than we gaslight other people at times because we have discernment as adults. We know when something isn't right, when something isn't going well, but we kind of talk ourselves off that ledge and just always defend, 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 because we think that that's honoring leadership. We think that that's what we were taught mm. to honor pastors honor leaders. But what our kids need to see is us saying, that's not right. What that pastor did, what that leader did, what that youth group uh, leader did, it's not okay. But here's where Scripture talks about people are going to let us down. People are going to fail us. People are going to be people. And here's how we are going to respond to that situation. And I think our kids seeing us model honesty and honor, both hand in hand. We're going to honor um, God's people. We're going to honor leadership, but we're also going to be very honest when something is not right, and we're going to call it for what it is. Because guess what? Our kids have a discernment button too. There is no junior Holy Spirit. So when our kids see something and discern something and we gaslight them and say, oh, you're just imagining that or that didn't really happen, then we become an unsafe place for our kids to share things, and then they will go to social media. They will go to the world and trust me, our world right now is a ready receiver of our children if we don't listen to them. Okay. I love that quote that you just said, there is no junior Holy Spirit. And that is so true. And sometimes I'd never thought about that, but I think we think about that with our kids. Like maybe the Holy Spirit is lesser with them or something that we can control. <laughs> That's just not the truth. Well, let's flip the narrative. And you talk in your book a lot too about saying the word church hurt as a buzzword, you know, when really, oh, the hard truth is, get ready, everybody, I'm stepping on your toes. The truth is maybe we did something that we deserved to be disciplined for, that we deserve to be called out for. And we just hide behind this, oh, the church hurt me. And oh, I, I'm treading so tenderly here because I know there's a lot of people that really hold on to that as a safe barrier, but as a way to, as a reason not to go back to church and engage. Can, can you speak to that? It is touchy because the line can be very fine when we have unresolved offense, it becomes hurt. So there is a, a, a blurriness to that line, but here's the distinction I have in my own heart. This isn't clinical, this isn't psychological, it's literally just Natalie Runyon's distinction between the two, is hurt happens to us. We can't control if we're hurt by someone. We can't control if somebody um, abuses us. We are out of control in that situation. But when it happens in offense, we choose to pick up offense. We choose to say, that person doesn't like me based off of these four things that I've deduced in my emotional mind while I'm laying in bed at two o'clock in the morning. And it could be that we didn't get to sing our favorite song that we normally sing on Sunday mornings, or the pastor didn't you know, shake our hand in the parking lot as we were coming in, or something that just takes root that we chose to pick up and let plant in our heart. I can tell I'm offended when I'm having arguments in the shower about what I would say to someone if I could just say something to them. There's there's this offense that takes root, and it's, the Bible calls them high things, things are, that are contradictory to the Word of God, that we are to pull down and to not let take root that we would become bitter. So that's kind of where I've had to walk this line, being a pastor's kid, is 
Were we really hurt? Absolutely. We absolutely were hurt and spiritually abused. Even in my adult life in ministry, I have been hurt and I've been abused. But I have also picked up offenses, and not just my offenses, but offenses of my brothers and sisters, which weigh us down and keep us from running this race. And our kids are watching. They know when we're gossiping. They know when Mm. we are uh, talking bad about pastors and leaders. And we have to be really careful to not allow offense to infiltrate our homes as well. That is such great advice. It sounds easy, but it's really not. But it's so important because we're literally stewarding our children's spiritual future. And one of the things I loved in your book is you talked about uh, you talked about four different parts. You kind of put this journey into four parts. You have the hurt and the hard and the hope and the holy. And I really did feel as I read this that I was going on a journey through that, feeling that experience with you. Can you talk about the contrast between those two places? The hurt and the hard, I mean, all of us could probably identify three or four big times in our lives, especially in the church where we experienced the hurt and the hard. This was a a hard season. This is where I was hurt. That church is where I was hurt. You know, we can easily have that conversation over coffee and be able to just tumble out all of the details as if it happened yesterday um, because church hurt is the worst kind of hurt. Mm -hmm. But when we get to this hope, we hear that in the word that Jesus is this living hope. And that after that, that all of this hard stuff can become holy. We hear this as He turns beauty um, out of our ashes, when He says that He's going to make all things new. There is a promise of this reconciliation, but so many of us quit right after the hard, because we get hurt, and then reconciliation's hard. Forgiving is hard. Um, trying a new church is hard. We, we go through the hard, and we think, I don't want to do this again, so I'm just going to quit. I'm not going to try another church. I'm not going to try to be healed. I'm not going to go to counseling. I'm not going to do what I need to do to get better, and I'm just going to let God do what He's supposed to do and just tap out. And what we forget is that there is redemption on the other side. Jesus went to the cross for the joy set before Him, not the immediate pain that He was in, but He is our model of longevity. He could have called 10,000 angels down to save Him, and He didn't. He remained in position, and what should have killed Him became a resurrection three days later. And we have that same promise, that what feels like it's going to kill us, we have the promise of a resurrection three days later if we'll just stay in position. But as Christians, we do not like to be buried. So that burial process, that dying to ourselves, is one of the hardest parts of getting to the hope and the holy. Well, if you're listening, I hope that you will go back and listen to what Natalie just said again. I found myself having that experience writing this book, going back and reading that again and saying, wait, I I need that to soak in because those are very powerful words. I mean, you're right. As Christians, we don't like to be buried. We don't want that. But that's one thing that really stood out to me as I was reading you talk about Jesus understanding where we are and experiencing betrayal by Judas, who was one of his 12 disciples, who was his closest companion. And you retell the story in a little bit of a funny way, <laughs> you know, as much as we can find humor in that. But Judas saying, oh, when when you know, Jesus shares with the disciples that someone's going to betray him, and Judas says, oh, Oh, surely, you know, it's not me, right? You know, and you just think about the context of that. Jesus absolutely knew it was him. He knew what he was going to do. He knew what he was going to face. But this is the point that stuck with me. You said, 
He didn't let it take away from the dinner that he was having and the experience that he was having with the other 11. So I would love for you to expand uh, expand upon that and thinking that maybe you have experienced betrayal. There's no worse betrayal you've experienced than Jesus experienced. And how, how do we let that instruct and encourage our hearts? We can probably all like look back over a lunch we've been at or a staff meeting we've been at and we've looked around the room and we know who the Judas is. Like, you know the coworker or the friend or the family member who's pinching under the table. You know they're bad news. And so it's so easy to get frustrated and be like, why can nobody else see that we have a Judas sitting in our midst? Why can nobody else, um, you know, just see that there's somebody that's going to betray us all or worse, just me in in this room? And so the enemy wants us freaking out. He wants us panicking. He wants us to get off mission, to get off assignment and be so laser focused on the one who we know is doing all the bad things that we forget we have a mission, that we have an assignment. And if you think about it, Judas could have really easily thrown Jesus off his game with all of the betrayal, the the arrest. I mean, it was a nightmare for Jesus. And yet it says again, like I said, for the joy set before him, you know, he had to forgive a man all before he died. He had to forgive Judas. He had to um, remain in position with the disciples. He had to really model this like laser focus. And the enemy, I think, is working overtime right now to get all of the people of God so offended, so divided over politics and whatever else you want to talk about, that we get off mission. And he's he's doing it. If I'm honest, he's doing it just off social media alone. Um, we all have now Judases all around us that we've never even met because they don't align with what we thought should have been done at COVID or what we thought, uh, you know, who we think should be president. He's doing it. And so we have to see his tricks, and stop falling for it. Again, easier said than done, but you are so right. And I see one of the most divisive things in my work as a pediatric nurse practitioner being mental health. Because of course, you know, American Academy of Pediatrics and other entities have declared a national crisis on pediatric mental health. And I'm often asked in media, is this really as bad as people are saying it is? And as a nurse, it's important for me to be honest. And I say, no, it's worse. But you can't imagine what it's like to grow up living at the speed of a smartphone with all of the world's noise coming to you 24-7, being on 24-7, not knowing what are those trusted voices. I mean, when we were growing up, Natalie, the trusted voices were in our community, our parents, our church, and we processed those traumas that we experienced through a pretty small filter. This is like a fire hydrant coming, and it's so hard. One of the things that you talk about is it's okay to love Jesus and to go to counseling, that sometimes we need that too. So can you talk about that role of mental health and counseling just in the journey of of recovering from hurt you may experience in the church? I mean, I grew up in the Pentecostal charismatic church. It was almost like you didn't love God or trust God if you went to a counselor. It was, well, if you loved God and you trusted God, you wouldn't be sick or you wouldn't need that medication or you wouldn't be going through a divorce. And a lot of that was like blame shifting towards our inability to trust God. And yet, as I got older and I went to college and I was processing with, you know, counselors and, um, you know, Christian friends and Christian mentors, I realized, no, this is actually uh, not God being in competition with professionals, but a partnership with professionals to say, I've given these men and women the ability to do medicine, to um, love me and love their craft and together combine both the secular and the sacred, the medication 
and the Word of God and between all of it working together, that is actually a beautiful dance of watching the people of God step into their assignments in, in the secular world, which is still ministry, and our own you know emotions and heart and not have to do this on our own. And I think when we say you don't need counseling, uh, it isolates us. It isolates us and says, figure it out on your own. And when we can't hear God, that's our fault. We just have to keep praying until we hear God. And so I just, as I've gone through my own journey, um, counseling, spiritual direction, that has all been a huge part of my uh, healing process. And if my children needed it, if they came to me and said, I don't feel like myself, which my daughter has done before, and we've had to make adjustments, uh, we do what we have to do to get them to a place of health, spiritually and emotionally. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have to stop shaming people uh, for doing what they need to do to be healthy. I couldn't agree more because God created us as a holistic beings. We're body, mind, and spirit. And Pastor Brian Haynes, who I've had on the show before, he talks about a counseling and mental health professionals as a common grace that God provides, that He works through people with different skill sets. And it really is a beautiful illustration of the body of Christ, of us all coming together. But I think you hit the nail on the head in that we there's so much shame and stigma. We're so afraid to say that we're having a problem or that our kids are having a problem because then our faith wasn't strong enough. But we forget that God works through so many flawed characters. I mean, just open your Bible to the Old Testament and you will see. I mean, David was called a man after God's own heart and he did some pretty bad stuff that damaged the you know his credibility and the, and the faith of some of the people. But we can find that common grace. Well, Natalie, I want you to talk specifically to families. There are families right now who are sitting out there listening who have stopped going to church. Maybe that's because of COVID, you know, and you just get out of the habit. Maybe that's because they experienced a hurt, a rejection, something that's unfair. Maybe it's because they did something, you know, or experiencing experienced something and they were called out, maybe in a good way, maybe not in a good way. But for whatever reason, they're sitting at home and they're thinking, I just don't think this is for me. Your whole ministry, the hashtag is raised to stay. Natalie, what do you say to those families who are thinking, I, I don't know if I can do this? This might be a hard truth, but I'm going to say it in great love, that we as adults, we know how to get spiritual meat. We know how to get into our Word. We know how to study. We know how to pray. But our children do not. And so we as adults can say, well, I've grown up in it. I know how to meet with God. I'm good just sitting at home watching online. But our children are at an age, these formative years, where they need the fellowship of believers. So even if we as adults don't, our children do. They need to have access to other Christian men and women who, yes, may hurt them. It, we are not guaranteed that there will not be some sort of emotional hurt coming from the church but who will also love them and champion them and challenge them in a way that we as parents can't do. I always say that, you know, it took a village to raise me. It took spiritual moms and dads and aunts and uncles who would take me shopping and would take me to coffee and ask me the questions that my own mom was asking me, but I would give them a different answer because I trusted them to keep that between us. And they did. And so we may not need the church. And, and, I'll say that's fine for today because I think that's a true, 
a true statement sometimes. I just don't need the drama. But our kids do. They The Bible says, don't forsake the assembly of the believers. Jesus says that where there is uh, unity, it commands my blessing. And so even if you can't go, try to go for your own kids and watch as the Lord works through them. And I guarantee you, you'll be ministered by seeing how they're changing and how their relationship with God is growing. Well, that's so hard. And I hear a lot of people, you know, who are parents today, they're afraid to let people into their village like that, you know, because we're just so afraid of negative influences. But I agree so much. It takes a village to raise kids and you need to intentionally cultivate that village. And actually last week on the podcast, I talked about five people that you need in your village. You need an intercessor, someone who's going to pray for you. You need a counselor, someone who's going to tell you hard truths, not just what you want to hear. You need a friend who is wildly unimpressed with you and knows the real you and that you can't, you know, like uh, blow smoke and and create a cover your way through. Uh, You need a healthcare provider that you know and that you trust and that can partner with you. And you need someone who's in your same boat, somebody who's going through a same situation with you. And your kids will see that and see you cultivating that village. And I, I think parents forget that the most important predictor of resilience is meaningful connection to an adult. So yes, they may experience hurt. Yes, they may experience trauma. But if we are there walking in relationship with them, God gives an extraordinary amount of grace, I believe, to guard their hearts and minds in that. Uh, Absolutely. And even in my book launch, I had a book launch party. And I'll tell you who the most group, the biggest group that was there was from that church that hurt us when I was a senior in high school. They came in full force, all of their children, grandchildren. They were sitting on couches reading the book, and I talk about them in the book. And that group that hurt me the most when I was 18 years old have been the group that has loved me the most at 43 years old. And I don't look at them and think, you hurt me 25 years ago. I think this is my family. And so this this redemption part, if we're worried about our kids getting hurt, sometimes Letting them walk out a really hard season with a group of people is that iron sharpening iron, and it can be actually the greatest gift God gives us in the story of reconciliation. So we can't be afraid of the hurt because the hope and the holy is coming. Oh, just the words that you're using there, redemption, restoration, reconciliation. I mean, those are all beautiful things. And if we just open ourselves up to receive those, like what an amazing story you've had. I mean, just being brave enough to write this story in the book and talk about them, but then seeing that restoration come back and them supporting it. I have goosebumps, Natalie. That's amazing. Well, I want to ask you one last question because uh, you. this is something kind of a, a, a PS here. Um, you are a worship leader. You are a worship pastor. You talk a lot about music and the role of music. Music has always played an important role in my life as well. I've been a worship leader. I, um, I, I love to sing, play the piano a little bit, but I talk a lot about the important role that music plays in all of this and it's singing messages over our subconscious and giving us earworms and those messages that are there. Can you just give us a little, I'd love for you to give a little PSA about the role that music has played in your journey. I was not allowed to listen to secular music uh, or non-Christian music until I went to college. So I think my first non-Christian song that I was allowed to listen to was Don't Worry, Be Happy, which is like (laughs) this older like 50s song. I don't even know. (laughs) 
because my parents did value what was coming into our earphones, what was coming in. So, you know, we had CD players back in the day. And so DC Talk and Amy Grant, that was my world up until I went to college. Now our kids aren't living in that bubble wrapped, you know, wrapped in bubble wrap world. We we can't insulate them quite as easily as our parents could insulate us. And so there is this beauty of going into a church service and singing the Word of God on repeat. It's also dangerous if songs that are written are not necessarily theologically correct. And so we have to just use our discernment to know, even with Christian music, what am I singing? What am I putting into my head about who God is and who I am? And that's why songs that point 100% to Jesus are my favorites, because anything that makes me the hero of the story— I, sh- I probably shouldn't be singing. But for our kids, you know, I've had to be a little bit more lenient with, with mine, and we do have boundaries. We do have um, things that are non-negotiables. No, you're not watching that. No, you're not listening to that. Because I do believe that the eyes and the ears are portals to our hearts and to our souls and, and the narratives that we write um, over ourselves. And so music is one of the most influential things our kids will come into contact with if we are not careful what's going in. Um, to their little hearts and their minds. And so as a parent in this culture and day and age, I am warring with you all um, <laughs> for that battle of just what what are we going to say um, is okay and what are we not? And that, um, oh, Lord, I mean, I just, th- I keep praying for my kids. Like, Lord, even in my ignorance, just let them, <laughs> let them be okay. Um, but I will tell you, worship music probably is what brought me back into ministry. Wow. Um and I think all of our kids, if they have, if you, if you see your child has just an inkling of a musical ability or the ability to sing or play an instrument, don't ignore that. Put them in lessons, put them in classes, give them worship YouTube channels to watch, um, send them to camps, you know, Christian music camps. Really um, encourage that because worship might be the thing that keeps them from deconstructing um, in this season of everybody jumping ship. So pay attention to what your kids love. Yeah, I think just all of those things, using those as tools, not seeing a singular strategy to get your kids connected to church. There's not one magic answer. You yourself have shared your journey over years, but it's so it's, it's so worth it to hear you on the other side of that. So Natalie, where can we find you? Where can we connect more, get in the Raised to Stay community, find your book, and just hear more from your heart? Our Instagram account, Raised to Stay, is primarily where we camp out the most. There's about 115,000 of us over there who I call my stayers, affectionately. Um, there's a Facebook group under my name, Natalie Runyon, R-U-N-I-O-N. There's a private Facebook group, Raised to Stay, where we talk more internally about things that are happening within our churches and anonymously. So any of those, the book, Raised to Stay, is everywhere. It's on Instagram. It's wherever, or I'm sorry, Amazon, wherever books can be bought. And um, it's doing amazing. I'm proud of this book. I wrote it um, not knowing how it was going to be received. And what I am pleased with is how many of us are stay, are saying, you're right, I might not be able to stay in a church, but I want to stay connected to Jesus. And that's really what the stay means, is abiding in Him. I saw that. Congratulations, USA Today bestseller. It's doing amazing. I have my copy here. It's already highlighted and written in and dog-eared, if you can see right here. So get your book, follow Natalie on social media. And Natalie, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace as you continue this ministry. Thank you so much for joining us today with your words of wisdom and encouragement. Thank you, Jessica. 
Well, I hope you found that to be as encouraging as a conversation as I did. I think in today's day and age, it's refreshing to find people who are authentic and who talk openly about the incredibly difficult things that we wrestle with. Not everything is black and white and so easy to explain. And so speaking through that internal wrestling and the debates that we have, I think is a really healthy exercise. And the good news is we teach our kids how to think, how to reason when we do that. And we let them in to see our thought process and how we learn coping skills to go forward. And so that's really important. So uh, recently I was actually on another podcast uh, with my oldest daughter and the host actually asked her a question about going to church because she does go to church. She's away at college, but her faith has really become her own. And he asked her what it took to transition from church being our family routine to being her own routine. And my incredibly wise daughter said it was the hardest Heart's posture more than the home structure that counts most. And I thought that really knocked me for a loop. And I really can't stand in her shadow. Like she is amazing, but she's absolutely right. So we can have the home structures all set up right. You know, we can go to church every week and be faithful church attenders and give our tithe and do all of those things that we're supposed to do. But it doesn't automatically mean our kids are going to want to take that on as their own. And so that is, that's really, really hard. But it's the heart's posture. Our faith is caught. It isn't taught. And our kids will do what we do. So really, I started to look at church in a new way when I was raising my kids. I realized it wasn't something I had to do so that everything else in my life would be right. It was something that helped me make everything else in my life right. And that walked alongside me when everything in my life wasn't. So I didn't focus on dragging my kids there or make sure that they were sitting in the pews or they had perfect attendance. I made sure that we found home and a community and encouraged our kids to be authentic and transparent. And I'm really grateful that my kids have caught that. And so one of the practices that we did is we tried to find church wherever we go. So instead of trying to find a church at home, we try to find home in a church. I travel a lot for my work and often I'll bring some of my kids or all of my kids or a whole family, or even if we're on vacation, we didn't look at that as a vacation from church. So we would assign our kids with uh, to take turns to find a church where we could go and visit. And so they would look online and see what was their theology and their philosophy and what times did they go and those kinds of things. And we've had some really interesting experiences. We've been to a tiny mountain church in Colorado. We went to a college church on a university campus. We've been to one of the oldest churches in the United States in a building that was older than the town we live in. We went to a Hawaiian church with Lay's and smoothies. And let me tell you, my kids would go back there any day of the week. It was like no shoes on the beach, you know, with our little pineapple drinks. Uh, It was amazing. We've been to an outdoor church in India. We've been to a California church that was near the beach. And so in each case, our kids found home in a church and they learned that church exists outside the walls of our church at home, that our church wasn't a physical place, but it was a gathering of God's people that could happen 
anywhere. And they knew they could find family and support anywhere they went and were comfortable with that physical logistical process of looking up somewhere. And they also had been with us walking in as a guest. Now I'll tell you, if you've been a member of a church for a really long time, being a guest can be a really uh, humbling experience for sure when you walk in and the shoe is on the other foot. But here's your conversation keys. Talk to your kids about your church attendance. Say, how do you feel about the church that we're attending? What role does church play in your life? What are the things that help you, that you love about church, and what are the things that frustrate you? Try it out and let me know how it goes. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast, serving as your expert guide on the side to engage, equip, encourage, and empower you to navigate life's toughest issues with your teens. Tune in next week as we explore faith-based health impacts and home strategies to create a safe space in an unsafe world. Together, we'll find hope for healthy relationships. Connect with us online at drnursemama.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Nurse Mama. We'll see you here next week on American Family Radio. Thank you.